Drag up that diesel. What's good? Welcome to the Pigpen Podcast. I'm your host, Denton Day, at Denton underscore Day. Uh, really excited for this episode today. Real special episode. Bram Weinstein, who, of course, calls the games the radio voice of the football team, was kind enough to jump on uh, and give us a conversation. We talked about a lot of really, really good things. The, the state of the team, what it's been like through the first six games of broadcasting, a little bit of inside baseball stuff. So if you're interested in the world of broadcast and kind of how it works in this COVID-ridden time for a play-by-play, uh, this is going to be a conversation you are going to I- enjoy. Before we get into it, as always, if this is your first time listening, subscribe to the Hogshaven podcast feed. If you're not a member of this site, go over to hogshaven.com, become a member, interact with us over there. There's some real great stuff, real great content going up on the website. And follow me on Twitter if you haven't already. If you're not already, at Denton underscore day. And without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Bram. Excited to welcome all my next guest here to the Pig Pen Podcast. You hear him as you're listening to the game. He is the voice of the football team. You can hear him on ESPN 630 from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time here in the district. The great Bram Weinstein, kind enough to join us on his vacation, you know, taking a little bit of time off. It's the bye week. Bram, appreciate it, my man. How you doing? I mean, it's a strong word, vacation, because they're not really on vacation. I just decided it was the bye week. I'll take two days off the radio show to try to get a mental break. But as you know, I have 58 jobs. So the other, well, not Washington, just they're off this week. So 56 of the 58 are still going. But um, it's a nice mental break for sure. So your vacation is not, you're not chilling in Cabo. You don't have drinks on deck like some of the players. You're not stretching, getting all these massages. You're you're still working. Who's going there? Well, maybe not now in COVID, but like if you want, but I'm not going anywhere like that right now. Like (laughs) I can't wait for 2021 and some answers to all of this stuff. Because like we're all excited that 3,500 people are going to be allowed to go to the Washington Giants game next week, and that's a drop in the bucket, you know. Instead of still the things that we settle for to get excited about, I like I'm happy we're able to come, but you know we're still just nowhere near normal, and I, I just can't wait to get back to it. So from your perspective, well, that's a great kind of segue into where I wanted to start. We get fans in the stadium the next time you'll be there. But for the first six games and for the first few games that you've been in the stadium, there's been nobody there. What has that been like from a broadcasting st- standpoint? It's really weird. I mean, it's really, really strange. And I think we, we mention it during every broadcast that we, just, we know it. It's odd that we want the crowd there. And I think about like a few scenarios that have happened here this year in the stadium where I've been live. Um, the first game of the year, they are down 17 against Philadelphia, come back and beat them. How often has that happened in this team's history recently? Like, not very often. I can't imagine the stadium, you know, the sound that would be going on there, people are there witnessing that real point. And then on the other end of the spectrum is Lamar Jackson ripping off a 50-yard touchdown run on them and looking every bit like the MVP and unstoppable running quarterback. And I don't know what the sound would have been like in the stadium at the full house been there to watch that. You know, like like a complete other polar opposite sound. So 
would have happened. Or last week, where they're beating, they're crushing their arch rival. Like, people would have left early, the, the game was at hand, and would have been essentially laughing at the Cowboys in the second half. And I don't know what the would have been like for that. You know, or like, we, we can't travel yet because of the COVID restrictions. So we're calling the road games off TV. And, you know, there's nobody in the Meadowlands, and Washington's going for two at the end of a game to win. <laughs> and it's, a, you know, it's a high leverage win loss scenario. What's the sound there? You know, if, if that's what was happening in real time in front of an entire stadium of people. So there is something really missing. Like, it's obviously missing. And it doesn't change what we do, and it doesn't change how excited I am to do it. Um, but clearly, there's an attribute here that is, that is really, really noticeably not there. And I can't wait for everyone to be able to get back in the stadiums and, and join with us while we do these things. So how much, if any, of the, the fake crowd noise do you actually hear? Because from, from watching on television, I hear it. I obviously know that there's something different. I watch for, obviously, you don't see anyone in the stands. But from your perspective, how much do you actually hear of that fake crowd noise? And does it really impact anything at all as, as far as how you call the game? Yeah, I don't hear any of it. I, I mean, I'm doing the you know the, the radio broadcast and whatever's pumping in on TV, I don't hear it. So you know, like there is some audible stuff that's going through the stadium through their PA system, you know, music and and I think a little bit of a kind of a murmur of, of crowd noise. But I got to tell you, I mean, Franklin, like I'm so locked into the broadcast that I really just don't hear anything. So if it is happening, I don't really notice it all that much, but I don't imagine that we're hearing the same thing that you are on television. Now, given how long this pandemic has been, because it feels like it's been like a full year and a half or whatever. I know it's only been eight months, six, seven, eight months, whatever it has been. Uh, but you getting the job midway through the pandemic, did that almost kind of make it a little easier knowing that, all right, there's probably a good chance we're not going to see a whole lot of fans at the beginning of the season? Or or is is it still just uh, completely and utterly weird to get to this, the parking lot and see just rows of empty parking spots as you pull in? I mean, like, I don't get nervous, so I, you know, I, I find it odd that the fans aren't there. Like, it is, it's, it's a consistent reminder. And one, I'm very lucky to be allowed in the state, so I don't take that for granted, knowing what's going on right now. You know, that I am one of the three, four, five hundred people that are allowed to literally walk into the stadium to watch an NFL game. Like, I don't take that for granted for a second, you know. And, um, and no, it doesn't make it any easier. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't get nervous. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say that with any kind of like intent or, or ego or anything like that. I just, I just don't. I never really have. And um, you know, really more than anything, you know, when I got named to the position, it was pretty late into you know the summer. But the only part that was really kind of nerve wracking for me was the three, four weeks getting ready to do it. Because had I had months to prepare for it, I probably wouldn't have, you know, felt as um, kind of, you know. I don't know, internally, like, I got to get on this. But we ended up practicing a lot together through the summer. And I did a lot of work on my own, watching old games. And, and I spent a lot of time talking to, and I was really fortunate that most of the major play-by-play voices that I reached out to, especially the ones locally, were so open and welcoming and willing to give me tips and best practices that they went through the years. I talked to Steve Puckett, I talked to Bob, I talked to uh, John Walton, I talked to Joe Pedinati, um, I talked to uh, Mick Nixon who called Panthers games, Mike Keith who called Titans games, and I know I'm missing some people, and I apologize to you if they hear this, and I missed, you know, I talked to, I talked to so many people I can't remember, but like, 
they were all extremely helpful in the process for me. And I felt pretty confident by game one. And now it's falling down and it's getting better. But, you know, the fans not being there, I think that's a, it hasn't made it easier. I, I, I still find that actually off-putting, really. And I, I want to get your take on what was it like building chemistry with Julie and, and D Hall? You guys have done a fantastic job from the points that I've gotten to listen to. I really enjoy what you guys are doing, but given the circumstances, you mentioned you guys had the opportunity to practice a little bit. Was, was that in person? Were you doing it over zoom? Like it seems like all the world is operating under now. Or what was that process like? Uh, we did it in person. We met at, um, you know, because of the team protocols are a serious thing. Like I have to get tested every week just to be able to go to the game and walk onto the ground, I'm still not allowed into certain parts of the building, and I don't have access to players or, or teams or that part of, or coaches in that part of the building. And that's just the NFL protocol, and we kind of all understand that. Um, but because we are tested as often as we are, we were able to be able to meet in one section of the building, the media area where Julie's office basically is. And we were able to go in there and watch old games off television and practice together. And it was a little wonky at first because, you know, I'm not really prepared to call the game. But frankly, I don't remember the backup tight end on the Lions. So, you know, <laughs> they throw a pass to him and I'm like, you know, Stafford throws it to whoever that is. You know, <laughs> like that type of stuff is going on. So it's not like, you know, it's not prepared the same way. But it gave us an opportunity just to get some time thing down. Um, you know, none of us had really ever done that before in those roles. And I think it gave us a sense of like how we wanted it to flow and, you know, the first game this year is against Philadelphia. The last game this year is against Philadelphia. I told everybody, I said, I think it's going to sound very different the first one you hear to the last one you hear against the same team. I think it's just going to be very different. But I've been, I'm glad you said that. I, I feel really good about how this has gone through the first seven games. I think it's gone really, really, really well. And I really like working with them. D'Angelo is very opinionated, and I appreciate that. We're not pulling out any thoughts. Like, he's, it's not hard to work with him. And Julie, you know, because of her accessibility to the team, and I don't, you know, normally in this role, I'd be all over them trying to get information. I can't. She's got, she's got, she's armed with so much more information than anybody else. Um, she knows the team, I would, I would argue, better than anybody else covering them now because of her accessibility. So she's a wealth of knowledge, and you know, she's a pro, and um, it's been great. I mean, really, it's really, really, really been great so far. And I think it's only going to get better. I mean, you know, it just takes time. There is, um, you know, for me, the only thing that I wanted to get used to personally was there's you have to, it's a different delivery and it's different timing. And I kind of lose that initially on, I had never done highlights before when I got hired by ESPN and learning how to do highlights. It's a cool time. They'll understand like your voice in it, where the energy should go up and down, timing of it, delivery of it. And over time, you, you know, if you practice it, you get good at it. And this feels very similar. There's a million times in the ESPN, someone walked in one minute before we were coming back from a break and said, you're going to do this highlight next. And it's like some Maverick jazz game that I hadn't seen one second, you know, and then you're going to read highlights of it. So it's similar, you know, something just thrown in front of you and your instincts have to take over. And um, I've been really pleased with the team as a jet in general, and um, Julie couldn't be more supportive in what we're doing and, and helping us like, be prepared and getting us the information that we need. And it's been really, really great. And yeah, I guess the only thing is, like, I prefer them not to be two and five. <laughs> 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 what do you think about that, you know? 
All right, let's peel the curtain back and let's go some real inside baseball stuff because you mentioned you guys aren't allowed to travel yet. So can you take the listener into some of the differences and maybe some of the challenges in calling the game at the stadium versus calling it off a television screen? All right, so I'm going to assume, because I've talked about this before, most people like just don't think care. They just want a good broadcast. But for the sake of you asking, um, it is exponentially harder. Like It is not even close to the same experience. Like, I'll give you some examples. Like, uh, a couple of weeks ago when they played the Giants, Daniel Jones ripped off like a 50-plus yard run. That run feeds the camera, right? Like, he pulled the camera, which means I don't know where the ball is anymore. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> right? So, now, I and, and it probably caught me for what was one to two seconds, but those one to two seconds in that moment feel like a year and you're doing it live, and you feel like you've made a mistake. And I know it's not my fault, you know, but it, it is what it is. And it, and the listener doesn't know that, and it's hard. And I hopefully I covered it up relatively well. The other parts are really minor parts of the technical. So when we come back to get set up to do a play, I like, you know, either Julie or Daniel or both of them, when they're talking, to try to stop about what we approximate to be three to five seconds before it's done. So it gives me the opportunity to tell you down distance, situation, formation, timeout left, you know, whatever needs to be told to set up the play. Well, when you're watching it on television, they could be showing something on a sideline, or they could be showing a crowd, or they could be showing anything other than the ball's about to be snapped. So as we're trying to figure out the timing of this, you get you're a prisoner. So what the television cameras show you. And then really, you know, the other part is, you know, one of our players goes off, you know, for injury, you know, and getting checked out by the trainers. Well, if the television cameras aren't showing that, we don't know what's going on. I can't provide any information. So it's just, it's exponentially harder. It's not, you know, any less fun. It's just harder. And I just cannot wait until it's to a point where we're back doing it live and you, know, you just get a better sense of timing for conversation when you're sitting there seeing what's happening in front of you, you know you have an extra few seconds because they haven't broken the hole yet. Or they, you know, or the referee looks like he is going to stop play, or they're huddling over and talking about a call. You just have a different timing with it, and you just get caught sometimes. All right, so let's talk about the team. They're 2-5, and five, which not the best case scenario, obviously, but still because the NFC East is completely garbage, they are right in the thick of things in terms of a playoff spot. They're going to the bye week now. There was a big conversation on the Internet and on Twitter yesterday in regards to the star power of Terry McLaurin. Where do you personally feel like he ranks in terms of being a star in this league? I think he's the number one receiver. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what he's top this and top that, but I do think he's a number one receiver, and I think that that question is my opinion. I mean, people could argue that, but I, I think he is a clear-cut, going to even get better, number one receiver in the NFL, and of all the things that I think that they need, I don't think they need to replace him, or that they need to find someone who's better than him. I think they need to find a complementary piece on the other side of the field. So, and, and you know, just, I could see it last year. I mean, the guy's natural born leader, Really good team guy. Um, you know, everything about him um, just screams core player for you. And um, he's a hit. You know, they've got a few of them, not a ton of them, but like, not on the Cal Menai and Itis on the defensive line, unfortunately, he got injured. He's a hit. 
Yeah, he's not a number one pick. He's a complete, literal, going to be a Pro Bowl type player pick. So I love him. I'm definitely in agreement with you with both of those guys, but I, I want to get your take on who should be that complimentary piece. Do you think that the number two wide receiver is a guy that is currently on the roster now? I mean, I guess we can kind of throw Kelvin Harmon into that conversation because he's a guy that I was really looking forward to see play before he got hurt. But moving forward, do you think that the number two wide receiver for the future is on the roster now, or do you think it'll be somewhere either in the draft next year or free agency that we have to go get him? I think they're going to go get somebody. Um, I do think that Isaiah Wright potentially is a complimentary receiver. I do think Stevenson Jr. potentially is their answer at slot, and I hope that he is their answer at slot. Um, Antonio Gandy-Golden has not shown me enough to know whether he is going to be the number two or not, and I'm sure that they're hopeful that that's going to be the case. But this is slipping towards a, a season for him where it's very hard to know what his role is moving forward. My guess is they're going to upgrade on the other side if he's going to be in a competition for that spot, and that's probably be good for him. And Dr. Lindman is just, he's a vet. You know, he's a German vet, and he fits the role now, but they can upgrade from that position. So my guess is they're still they're looking for somebody. Um, you know, I, I mean, I know it's just the second coaching staff now that just kind of likes Sam Sims. I don't know. Eventually, I think, you know, he might get some more opportunities too. Uh, but we'll see. But I think it's, it's either in the draft or likely if they could find the right person in the agency that they need to find somebody. But that's my guess. Now, what is the impact? I'm sure you saw the video of Terry McLaurin speaking up in the locker room following the win against Dallas. And now we're going to the bye week. We're still in the race for the NFC East. What is the impact of a guy like Terry McLaurin, who traditionally is not a loud guy? And he even addressed it himself when he was speaking. He's not a guy that speaks up often. What do you think that impact is moving forward from a cultural standpoint as we you know, look to you know, steal this division? So uh, I, I would, I guess I would just say to start with, like, who would you say were their leaders in the past? Because I don't know who those people are. Um, uh, John and, Allen would be the one guy so, that sticks out to me. John Allen, yeah, John Allen, and and that's about it. Um, and so I think it's good that the people who are going to be the best players on the field, and the story is one of them. Um, they are the people that are willing to speak up and take ownership of this thing. And I think it is a sign that whatever this, however we quantify culture change, it's happening. Um, that he feels that way. Maybe he's just maturing into the position as well, you know, because he's been here a year and he feels like he has more ownership to say something. But I hope to see more of this. You know, I hope Chase Young kind of becomes that type of person because he's going to be one of the best players on the team, clearly, for the next however long he's going to be here. And John Allen has already kind of stepped up into that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, whoever the quarterback is, is going to step into that situation too. But I think it's good. And, I mean, look, expectations matter. Like, Dallas is a bloodbath. And Dallas is a bloodbath because they changed the, these things and they brought them in all on the, they're supposed to at least post to a division in, and they have expectations of getting to the Super Bowl. And none of those things are going to happen. And so it's a bloodbath. They have the exact same record as Washington, and we're sitting here talking about feeling good about it. Because we didn't have those expectations, and we knew what was going to be this year was going to be about, and these are the type of things that we want to see. Terry McLaurin is emerging not only as a great player, but a leader. This team is staying together and believing in the process. They think better days are ahead. They're staring down a part of the schedule where they're going, we ought to win these games. And this is all very positive. In the end, even if the Eagle game is won, my expectations were if they can somehow get to 500, that's a good year for them. 
same way. If they somehow end up 500, especially after starting one and five, it'd be amazing results, you know, heading into the next year and start pretty good about where they're going. But they've got a lot of cap space to deal with. And they're going to have more when I presume Alex Smith isn't on the roster and probably Ryan Kerrigan isn't on the roster. They're going to be open for business, vendors who can hopefully find the right set of people to fill some of these holes. And next thing you know, you know, we're talking about a team that is very competitive. And that's what I hope and see for 2021. So the trade deadline is, is right around the corner. It seems like for months there's been rumors about the possibility of Ryan Kerrigan getting dealt. Uh, recently there have been rumors about Dwayne Haskins getting dealt. I have no idea if I believe the Haskins stuff. But do you see that there's any chance of either one of those two guys being dealt before uh, this upcoming Tuesday? I don't anymore. On Haskins, I just can't see a market emerge where there's something of any kind of value being given because he clearly isn't going to walk in and play for somebody right now. So I think that they're kind of stuck with each other till the end of the year. And then you never know what's going to happen second half of the season. Maybe they they have a you know they have a, they have meetings and they feel better about one another and they just regroup and say, all right, let's give it another shot next year. You and Alan can compete for the job, you know. Or um, they just determine it's best to part ways. And at least at that point, you know, I think there's a different market. And I don't know what kind of value he has, but I think there's a different market. As for Kerrigan. I'm torn on this because I love the dude and he's going to end up in the hall in the ring of fame. And, you know, like he's had an incredible career here and he has said outwardly he'd like to maintain his career here. I think it's unlikely he resigns unless he is willing to give them a massive hometown discount in the offseason. He's making 11 million now. He's not a starter on this team and won't be, you know, if, you know, all things go well, sweat and young, he's not going to be. They can't offer him when he's going to get on the market. So I can imagine that he's probably leaving. And, you know, let's find out if Rivera's got a little Belichick in it. Because now's the time to move somebody like that to get an asset who's not going to be here. And I don't know, you know, where they stand on that. And I don't get the sense they're going to. And my guess is he isn't going anywhere. Because three defensive linemen were traded two days ago. And so if, one, if those teams were interested in him, those calls would have happened. And if they did happen, they were clearly turned down. So it sounds like Kerrigan is staying here. Like that market materialized very quickly over the last 48 hours, and he didn't go anywhere, and we heard nothing about it might happen. So I'm expecting him to stay, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, you know, there are some teams that make very difficult decisions about core people who have had long careers because the time is now to do it, and there is an argument that the time is now to do it. Two more questions before I uh, let you get out of here. There was talk of, of the possibility of Eric Reed joining the practice squad. Uh, he declined that. Are you in favor of that decision of not allowing Eric Reed to come up to the main roster, or do you like what you've seen from, from Cameron Crowell and the group of safeties that are likely going to replace Landon Collins now that he's out? You know, I was surprised he turned that down. I mean, I, I haven't spoken to him to know why, but like, I was surprised because I'm sitting here looking at this going, Landon Collins isn't coming back. So, because he's injured for the season. So, Eric Reed, once he's in shape and understands what defense they're playing, is going to be called up. And the other part is there's kind of these COVID restriction things where they can't just automatically put him on the 53 man roster coming from the outside. He has to go through protocols for over a week. So, he wouldn't be able to play next week against the Giants anyway. So saving him money gives him time to be on the practice squad, gives them an opportunity to work with him, find out what kind of shape he's in. He hasn't been playing, and give him a chance to get comfortable in the defense. 
there's no doubt in my mind he would be on the 53-man roster within two weeks. I was very surprised that he said no to that. And I don't know exactly what his motivation was, but, but I, I was surprised. And um, listen, I think Sam Crow's been pretty good. You know, the rookie seventh round pick's been pretty good. Um, they are, you know, they are vulnerable back there. And it goes without saying. They're vulnerable back there. The last couple of weeks, they caught the Giants without any receivers that can be sent deep in general. And the Cowboys can't block anybody and have no time to throw it to anybody. And it's not like the well, we'll find out against Detroit again. So they get the Giants again. The Bengals and Burrow can move the ball, and they get the Cowboys again. I mean, they're not going to be tested there as much as they potentially will be when the back end of the schedule shows up with teams like Seattle and even Pittsburgh with the receivers they have and then. So, you know, I think we'll find out what the fruit, you know, how this thing all plays out. I like what Curl has done. I get a sense he's more like Collins. He's more of an in-the-box type of safety. So I still think they're very vulnerable on the back end. And I was, I was disappointed to hear Eric Reed wasn't taking it because I thought he was the perfect person to come in and replace Collins. And, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to do it. And finally, um, Jason Wright ha- has kind of spoken openly about the the potential of sticking with the football team as the name moving forward into next season. Uh, where do you stand on that? Do you do you like the football team, or would you rather by next season we have either some form of mascot, whether it be Red Wolves, Warriors, whatever? Um, I guess I'm in the minority now. I like this, so I'm I'm for keeping this. But I think in the end, at least like the way that he addressed it this week, it made it sound like they're feeling pressure to get a name and get a name sooner rather than later, as soon as possible. And, you know, I would tell everybody to back off on this idea that you you could turn around and and rebrand a multi-billion dollar franchise overnight. Like that's an easy decision and it really isn't. And there's a lot of things that need to occur. And I think they should do it slowly and right, because in the end, when they do reveal whatever the new branding is, like, it's going to be a small period of time in the organization's history that they were the Washington football team. I personally like it. I think I'm more in the minority now of that, but I personally like it and would be perfectly happy if they kept it in perpetuity. I expect a name, the way it sounded to me, I expect a name to at least to be decided upon by next summer, and whether they reveal that or not, I don't know, and I do expect Washington football team to last another season. And, you know, we'll see how the fans react to all of it. I, I don't know. I like it. I, I, you know, maybe, maybe that's just me. Bram, I greatly appreciate your time. I know you're on vacation. Uh, enjoy the rest of your, your short little break. Enjoy the bye week. I know it's not Cabo, but, you know, it's a little bit of a break. Thanks, man. I'll take it. I'm sitting in my basement not worrying about talking about Tony LaRusso being a manager. That's, uh, and that's a break in itself. So that's us do that today. And there it is. Big thanks to Bram for jumping on. He is, of course, the play-by-play for the football team. You can hear him on ESPN 630 from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern here in the district. Real great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what your favorite part was. You can hit me up on Twitter at Denton underscore day. And with that said, that's going to wrap it up this week. We'll be back next week after the bye. A little bit of preview of the matchup against the New York Giants. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Until then, I'm out. Peace. Peace.